And uh, what has really changed, right, since uh, last week, it's just been pouring. Um, it's gotten colder. It's, it's easy to get sick, so please do stay warm. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, wear, wear some warm clothes and, you know, stay out of the rain if you can. Um, but it's good to, to have some questions for that, you know, for uh, things to even break. Um, they put me back yesterday, so that was really cool that uh, you went off to school um, this, this past fall. Uh, so would you please to open up uh, to Acts chapter 20? Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. So while you guys are just, just flipping there, I just have a question for everyone. Um, uh, would you would you prefer a hot pot Thanksgiving or a turkey Thanksgiving? Yes. <laughs> yes. I hear I hear yes. Yeah. Hands uh, or hot pot Thanksgiving. Hot pot Thanksgiving. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like half. How about turkey Thanksgiving? Okay. Less hands. I see some people don't have any opinions. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. I was just I was curious because you know. Uh, I, I, it's like, yeah, why well, yeah, can't we have pot pie? So yeah, that's cool, too. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, this passage today, um, we're going to be talking about eldership. Eldership. Our church, I'm not sure how many of you guys know, or, or, or how, many you guys are, how many of you guys are familiar with the structure here. Um, we are primarily an elder-led church, and we have two active elders right now. Um, we have uh, Elder Wangling and uh, so the daughters like Tessa Lydia, right? And then also... Um, elder Jared Wayne and his wife Terry, and her, you know the two kids are already adult. One's married, you know, one's uh, and one's coming out of church. Um, but those are our two active elders right now. We also have um, two uh, two almost like retired elders, um, Elder uh, Robert Coe, right, and then Elder uh, Wayne, the other Elder Wayne, yeah, and you know, my sitting right there, yeah. So uh, those are um, you know our elders right now. And um, Jerry Wayne, as you guys have known, you know, we call him, you know, Elder Jerry, Elder Jerry. Uh, he's um, the English congregation supporting elder. He's been with us, I think, for at least three years for the English side, primarily. Um, and he's been a great support, big support for us. And um, he's always advocating for English side, you know, trying to uh, help us. And, and, you know, during all the meetings that he has to attend to, you know, he's doing that you know, for us. Um, Jimmy Lee, how many are familiar with Jimmy Lee, daughter, uh, with, uh, wife is Wendy, right, daughter Beatrice, and I think another daughter as well, I forgot her name, um, Stacy, right, Stacy, yeah, thank you, yeah, Stacy. Uh, so Jimmy Lee's, their, their family has also been with our church for a, a long, long time, longer than I've been here for, um, and he's been approved by the elder and deacons of our church to be ordained as an elder. Um, his uh, ordination service will be on December 7th, December 7th. Okay, so that is uh, this coming Saturday, and uh, at 4 p.m. Um, it's also our church's 30th anniversary celebration. So uh, I don't know how many guys do that, but the church has been around for 30 years, 30 years, and we're just going to celebrate. Uh, so come at 4 p.m. Um, for the ordination, also the celebration, and then afterwards there's still going to be Awana and family time and all the other fellowships that go on. Um, but like, what's the what's the big deal though, right? About being an elder? Because I think this passage is really timely. What's the big deal? Like, uh, why do we why do we even have elders, right? Why is there even this position? Um, what's and what's like their connection to me? Because you might feel like, oh well, I'm never in any of those meetings, or like you know, a lot of the 
talk, like, you know, decisions, I'm not part of that decision-making process, or I just attend services, or, you know, know some people here, like, what's their, what's their connection to me, right? That's what we're going to kind of cover today. So, uh, look at verse 13 of chapter 20, verse 13, I'm just going to read uh, about the first five verses first. So this is basically uh, right after um, they left uh, Troas. So basically, Paul was with his buddies. You know, they were Troas. They wanted to spend the whole night talking, and then uh, there's a there's a man, a young man. He fell out the window because he was too sleepy. Right, he died, and then was brought back to life. So now they're leaving that area now, and then um, Paul, he and his companions, they're making their way towards Jerusalem. Okay. So verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship. Oh, I think I'm, I'm not. I think I'm, I'm not even on. Um, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, uh, where we were going to take Paul aboard. And he had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met, at, met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went to uh, Mytilene. Uh, the next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. Uh, the day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at uh, uh, Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Um, from uh, Miletus, uh, Paul sent to, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And so Paul and his companions, they've been spending a considerable amount of time in Asia, right? He's been traveling around, visiting different churches, you know, checking up on how they're doing, right? Uh, sharing the gospel with people, making disciples. And now they're traveling towards Jerusalem, uh, hopefully to make it in time for Pentecost. So it's hopefully because, you know, in th- those times they didn't have planes, right? I mean, right now, uh, a lot of planes are getting delayed because of the weather, right? But imagine if you didn't have planes, you know, you needed to take a ship. Um, or you needed to walk, right? Or you, you rode an animal or something. It, the the wet, harsh weather conditions would make it a lot more difficult and a lot more unpredictable to get to your destination. So that's why, you know, they're not sure. You know, they're not sure if everything goes well, they can make it in time. So the Pentecost was the event that takes um, 50 days after the Passover. Okay? 50 days after the Passover. And the Pentecost was a really uh, important time for the Jews. At the same time, it's also a very memorable time for Christians because this is the day where uh, the Holy Spirit uh, was sent to the believers. Right? Jesus left, and Jesus was like, I'm leaving, um, but the Father will send a helper to you, a better helper to you, and that's the Holy Spirit. So wait in Jerusalem for that. Remember in, in, Acts, uh, in Acts chapter 1, so, uh, so they were told to wait, and in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. So, uh, so they're waiting, right? They're waiting, and then they're, they're on traveling towards Jerusalem. And then Miletus was this coastal town. It was located about 30 miles from Ephesus, so that would have took about at least three days of walking, at least three days of journey. So uh, that's a really long time. But Paul, he wanted to make it to Jerusalem on time, so uh, he asked them to meet him. Instead of going kind of back and then going there, he might have been late. So that's why he probably asked him to meet him there. And when they arrive, Paul, he gives a very unique speech, uh, which I'm going to read to you. This speech is um, described as a farewell speech. Farewell speech. It is kind of all over the place. He jumps on various topics as he's giving this final uh, speech to these elders of this church that he's been with for over two years. He believes that 
he'll never meet them again. Because when he meets Jerusalem, he's going to face trials, he's going to face persecution, maybe imprisonment, maybe even death. So he knows that he's not going to see them again. So I want you guys to think about it. If you were to say you know, your final words to someone that you know you'll never see again, what would you say? What would you say? Right? If you were a parent, you know you're never going to see your children again, what would you say to them? Right? If you were a, ch- a brother or sister, what would you say to your parents? What would you say? Firstly, his, his speech describes his relationship with the elders. He talks about you know, his relationship with them, who, who he is and what he did for them and, and, um, and, and, and how you know, he cares for them and things like that. Maybe you as a parent, maybe that's something you would have told your children. Right? Secondly, he talks about his future plans, what he's going to be doing, what he wants to do, where he's going to go, what, what might happen to him. Right? As, maybe as, as a parent, you might say that as well. And thirdly, he reminds them of the important job that they have as elders. So let's read, uh, continue reading in verse 18. So Paul, he's speaking now to the elders. He says, When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. All right, so Ephesus is in the province of Asia because this is the Asian church. So, you know, we're like an Asian church. Pretty primarily, right? Um, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, my, aim, uh, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you uh, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will, uh, will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. 
Then they accompanied him to the ship. Wow, right? That's like really intense. It's really intense. I hope you guys can see like the, the seriousness of what Paul is saying. How that that these are his final words to them. And and this is this is what he said. These are these words are from his heart. Right? These are the things that he wanted to tell them the most. So to really understand Paul's speech, we need to first grasp what kind of man he was. So from this passage, we're going to kind of examine what kind of Paul, what kind of person was Paul. And it says in, in, in the beginning of his speech, he says, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. From the very first day, Paul, he, he showed the people who he was. Right? Paul was real. He was a real guy. He was, he just, he was real. His lifestyle was no secret. Right? They knew how he lived the whole time he was with them. So I think for us, we know our, we, uh, each of us, we know our families the best, right? We know their, their habits, right? We know their pet peeves, right? We know what they, what they, what they enjoy in life, you know, how they spend their time and, and money. So Paul, he, he, let, he let these people into his life, right? And in those, uh, those, more, those over two years, he says that at least three years, he formed a deep bond with them. And these men, they became his friends, his close friends. So these are the people that he labored alongside with. And it kind of looks like Paul, he's bragging, right? It kind of looks like he's bragging. Because look at the words he uses. He's like, I serve the Lord with great humility. Right? So usually when someone talks about how humble they are, right, it's kind of like, that's not very uh, like humble to do, right? But I think what he's trying to say is that you've seen everything about me. You know me. I know you. And this is what I want to share with you. Not, not because he's trying to be prideful, but he's trying to show them what it looks like to serve, right? To really love people. Right? In, in, in verse 33, um, I'm going to jump a little right back to the bottom. He talks about um, how he lived. He says um, in verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. Right? You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, not only my own, but also the, the needs of my companions. Right? Paul didn't travel alone. He didn't work alone. He had companions like Timothy, you know, Luke, people like that, like um, Silas. And in, and in everything he did, you know, he, he worked hard so that he would have more than enough so that he could give. So that he can help other people in need. Right, Paul, he never asked for any payment for sharing the gospel. Right, other speakers and propagators of religion, you know, on TV or, uh, you know, TV evangel- evangelists. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, they... Uh, you know, they would sometimes they would make, they might ask for money, right? They ask, might, might ask for donations or like write a check, you know, things like that. Like you know, write a check, you'll be blessed, or you know, whatnot, right? Like they they would do these things, but Paul he didn't do any of that. Right? He never coveted anyone's possessions. Right? He never had any evil secret motive. Right? Paul he didn't ask for anything. Right? He didn't say, "Hey, if you." Uh, you know, if you give me this item or this amount of money, I'll tell you some really good news. 
I'll share with you a secret. This secret can change your life. You know, maybe you guys have, you know, like those advertisements out there. You know, like, this will change your life. This 30-day plan or this trial, you know, like, this will change your life. You know, it's only going to cost this much. But Paul never did that. But still, Paul, he needed to support himself, right? He needed food, place to live, right? He had friends. He needed to, you know, support each other. So what did he do? He worked with his own hands. And, and he said he could say that because he said, you know this. You know this. Like, you know that, you know, I couldn't meet from this time to this time because I have work. You know I'm working. Maybe you visited me at my workplace. I'm working. Or he didn't take advantage of anyone. He gave no one any reason to accuse him or have an ulterior motive. And in everything he did, he taught them that God loves to see his people work hard so they can help the weak, like the less fortunate, the disadvantaged, the marginalized. Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Christmas time is just around the corner, right? You know, the lights are coming up. Uh, I mean, some houses, the lights came up like two months ago. I don't know why they do that. But, you know, like lights are coming up, decorations are out, right? I, I see, you know, Christmas trees like on people's cars because they're, you know, they bought it somewhere. They're, you know, taking it home, right? Um, so they're setting things up. Uh, people are probably doing some shopping, Black Friday shopping for Cyber Monday, whatever, for Christmas, right? Getting the deals. So it's kind of like that, that time of giving, right? People are like more open to, to give. And that's the, you know, this is the time where you'll, you'll see like, people dressed like Santa Claus like, for Salvation Army outside like Walmart or something, right? They'd be like, out there ringing their bells or something. And, and like, people are like, you know, like, oh, yeah, it's Christmas time. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give or something. But maybe the other times of the year, like, they don't really give. But it doesn't just have to be this holiday, right? Like, what would it look like for us to work hard so that we have enough so we can share to others in need like, throughout the whole year? And I know some of you do this, which is great. Like, continue to do that. So maybe some of us, we need, to, we need to figure out what it might look like for us in our situation. Because maybe, you know, we're a student, like, we, you know, we don't earn money or something. But what else could you give? What else could you help, right, to those in need? And even when things got really difficult, Paul, he persevered. Yeah, he suffered severe testing and persecution from the Jews. Right? The Jews, every like, town he went to, like, sometimes Jews would follow him into the next town and try to like, get him in trouble, right? You guys remember that? Like, they would follow him and they would be like, you know, like, Paul is this guy who wants to like, mess with your city and like, he wants to, like, he's trying to like, blaspheme your gods and stuff like that. And then like, he would get in trouble and, and people would like, beat him or stone him or you know, he would have to escape from the city. And he, he admitted that he even cried. He even cried. It says um, in verse 19, right, and with tears and in midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So this, this is a man, but he cried. It was hard, right? It was hard. Like living his, this, going through this journey, uh, living for God in, you know, in, this, in, a, in a broken world, right, in an evil world, it's hard, and he cried. It was painful. It was suff- he suffered. And for some of you, maybe that's, that's been the case. Maybe you still have yet to experience that. A, a severe testing, a, a, a trial, a, a difficulty in which it really brings you to your knees and you, and you cry. You cry before the Lord. But was it worth it, though? Was it worth it to endure 
Over two years of suffering, right? almost three years, was it worth it? What do you guys think? What do you think, Paul, what, what do you think is Paul's answer? Was it worth it? Of course, right? Absolutely. Right? He endured all this hardship so that he could do what? Right? He did all this so that he can continue to preach and to teach. He says that, um, I, right, he says here that, you know, in verse 20, that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. Right? I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Right? He did all this so that he could continue to preach and to teach the good news of Jesus Christ. This gospel message that has been a part of Paul's ministry from the very beginning. Or this, this, this message of repentance, so it's turning away from our sins. We're like, we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to live life this way anymore. We see the pain, the suffering, the brokenness, uh, the damage, destruction of sin, and we don't want to be a part of that anymore. Lord, would you forgive us? We want to, we want to believe in who you are, right? In your death, and your burial, your resurrection, and we want to follow you. We put our faith in that, that you really rose from the grave. And that you have the power to change my life. Right? That's the gospel message. This is what he suffered in order to share. Are we, are we willing to suffer so that we can share this good news? And then in verse, uh, verse 22, Paul, he admits that he doesn't know what's going to happen to him when he reached Jerusalem. He just knows that's going to be bad. He doesn't know exactly what. And he likens his life to a race. Anyone ever, uh, like, uh, like did track and, field, track and field or, like, I don't know, like, ran a marathon before or trained for any, any race before? Anyone? No? And no one ever ran, like, a 5K, 10K, charity? You have? Oh. 5K? Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the army. That's right. Taiwan, right? Taiwan. So, um, so Paul, he likens himself, his, his life to a race in which he aims to finish at all costs. So one time I decided to run this 10K okay, uh, to support the, our, my church mission trip. So I was like, I'm going to run the 10K because everyone was running this. And they're like, you know, I'm, like, I'm going to run this too. Um, so people, they started to, like, to train for it. You know, like I have some friends, like, they go out and they, like, they start running, like, you know, maybe like, like 2K a day or something like that, you know, after work, whatever, to, to train, to build, build themselves up for this. Um, but I was like too lazy to do that. So I'm like, I'm just going to show up on the day and I'm just going to run it. And um, like that did not turn out very well because, you know, I, I was very unfit. Right? I was out of shape. Um, but I, somehow I thought I could do it. So, you know, I was running and I, I got really tired. Like, there were some times where, like, I ran with my eyes closed because, like, it was too tired to open my eyes, you know? Like, it was so tiring. Like, my legs were cramping. Some of it was cramping. Um, you try to drink water, but then, like, you cramp. And then, like, you know, but you're thirsty. So it's, like, that struggle. And, and it's, like, it's, like how, many, how many more laps? You know, how many more laps? How much longer until I finish? Like, that was what I was thinking. But the whole time, I was like, I'm running for missions. Like, I'm running for God. Like, I can't, I can't give up. Um, this is for missions. Like, it's, you know, I have to finish this. So I finished it, right? I, I ran some, I walked some, but with a mix of that, you know, finished. It took me, like, really long, though. It took me, like, really long. I think, like, 
twice as long or something as other people. Um, but I finished. And Paul, he points out that this race that he aims to finish is a task that was given to him by Jesus Christ. And this task, he's not even vague about it. I want you guys to see that. Look at 24. He's very clear about what this task, this race is. This race, this task is testifying to the good news of God's grace. Right? Do you see that at the end of verse 24? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Right? However I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Right? Let's say that together. Uh, uh, the, the task of uh, testifying... Look, look, let's, say, let's say together the good news of God's grace. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Right? The good news of God's grace. The good news of God's grace. This is what Paul is racing to finish, to accomplish. He wants to do this. He wants his life to be a testimony of God's grace. And he wants to share this message with people. He wants these Ephesian elders to really see that this is central. This is central to their lives. And he wants them to also finish the race well. In Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, verse five, uh, Paul he talks about uh, he talks and he writes a letter to the Corinthian church. He talks about the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, how Christ has reconciled us to God, the Father. But at the same time, we are ambassadors. That's the word that he that he uses in that chapter, Second Corinthians chapter five, ambassadors. That we are ambassadors. I was an ambassador. It's like a representative, right? All nations have ambassadors, right? You have a, an embassy and all this stuff, right? Ambassadors. So we are Christ's ambassadors. When people see us in this world, they should see Christ. If, he's, if they're not seeing Christ, then we're being an ambassador for something else, someone else, right? So we display Christ to the world. When people see us, they should see Christ. Or do they see more of the world? But we cannot forget about the good news, which is God's grace. Right? The Greek word for grace is charis, which means gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, God, he, uh, Paul, he talks about God's rich mercy and love, which reached down to, to sinners. Because right? in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how you know, we as, as sinners, we just chase after all the fleshly desires that we wanted in this world. And we were just really destroying our lives. But God reached down to us in His deep, rich love and mercy. Or we were deserving death for our defiance and our rebellion towards God. But God loved us. Even though He's a just and holy God, He loved us. And this is the good news of grace. It's, it's something that's so precious and so powerful that we should really cling to it. We should cling to it. We should remind ourselves when we sin, when we fail, that God, He loves us despite our sin and our failures. Or that the blood of Jesus, really, it washes away our filth. And the righteousness of Jesus is ours. When God sees us, He sees righteousness. All right, let's say that together. Righteousness. Righteousness. Right? God, he sees righteousness. God sees our sins no more if we place our faith in Jesus. In Romans 5 it says that for God uh, you know, shows His love for us that, that while we were still sinners, right, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. 
Or while we were still sinners. It wasn't like, you know, after we decided, you know, we're going to get our act together. And then, you know, like, we're, we're trying, our, putting our best efforts to be better. And then God's like, okay, well, now I see you're trying. So, you know, Christ is dying for you now. And, you know, you are righteous now. No, right? It's the other way around. Is that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us. Right? In, in John 3.16, you know, God, he loved the world. Right, so that he sent his son Jesus to die so that we can live. And so from that, we want to live in the right way. We want to honor God. We want to obey God. We love this God who sacrificed himself for us. So I want us to just take a moment to reflect on the goodwill of God in your life. Just take, a, take a moment to reflect on the gift of grace right, that God has provided to us through Jesus Christ. So take a moment to reflect on that. Right? So the good news of God's grace is a wonderful, beautiful thing, which needs to be protected. It needs to be protected. And this is Paul's direct address to the elders concerning their roles and responsibilities. And the elders, they must keep watch over themselves and all the flock. Verse 28. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Right, the Greek word for overseer is episkopos, so that's where you get the word yeah, episco, episcopal or episcopalian, you know. Um, there's a denomination like that, and it basically is talking about their, um, uh, which leaders govern the church, right? Their church structure and things like that. And Paul, he's using this imagery. So picture the elder as a shepherd. The elder as a shepherd. So think about the elders in our church. The elder is a shepherd, and, and we are the flock. We are the flock. So flock of uh, uh, sheep, you know, sheep are there, not very good at protecting themselves. Um, some animals, they have claws, right? They have sharp teeth. Um, some of them are super agile, right? They can climb up trees, or they can, like, uh, you know, they can, like, dive into the water, or, you know, they can dig a hole or something, go into the gra- underground, um, you know, some of them, they have, they're, they're poisonous, right? Maybe they have crazy colors that's like, hey, don't touch me or something, you know? They can fly, but sheep, they don't have any of that, right? They don't have any of those things. And sheep, they need a shepherd. Like King David, when he was younger, he was a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. And when he was tending the flock, he, was, he often, he, uh, it writes in the Old Testament that he had to fight off like bears. He had to fight off lions and stuff that tries, that tries to, you know, take a sheep. And Paul, he warns these elders, these overseers, these shepherds, it's all talking about the same uh, person, that wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And this is a serious warning, because what do wolves do, right? What do wolves do that's described here? These wolves, they come in and they ravage, right? They're just, they're savage. That's what it uses here. That's the words. And they want to eat, they want to destroy, they want to kill, they want to create chaos. But how do they do that in a church? Because right? this is just like, you know, this is imagery. How, do they, how does that actually work in the church? How does that happen? And he says that it's hard to tell. Because these people that, that come to, into, into the church, they, they don't look like wolves. Right? They don't come in dressing like a wolf. Right? They don't come in with, like, you know, the t-shirt and it says, I'm a wolf. It doesn't say that, right? People, they just look like everybody else. 
on the outside. And these wolves, they sneak in. And then they begin to distort the truth. In order to draw away disciples, they begin to distort the truth. They begin to, to tell lies, to, to twist certain things. This good news of God's grace. They begin to maybe say stuff like, you know, God's grace needs to be earned. You know, God's grace needs to be earned. Or God only loves good people. Maybe they bring people down. They're discouraging people. Are they twisting this, the good news of God's grace? And what's even more shocking is that lies, they also begin to spread within the flock. And that, that these people that call themselves disciples, they begin to, to turn into these wolves. People from even among you, right? People from among you will not spare the flock. And as, you, as, you, as it also says in verse 28, keep watch over yourselves, right? So elders, keep watch over yourselves. It's not just keep watch over the flock, but keep watch over yourselves as well. So even elders are not, they're not, they're not excluded from this, right? Because we're all people. And that's why Paul, he uses the words, be on guard, be on guard, Verse the end of verse thirty, and at the beginning of, of thirty-one, uh, I mean verse thirty-one, it says, "Be on guard," and it says, "Remember, remember that what for three years I never stopped warning, right, day and night, with tears, day and night with tears." He warned, and this is not an easy job. It's not an easy job. It's but it's a very important job. Why? Because a church belongs to God. In verse 28, it says, Be shepherds of the church of... Of who? Church of God. It doesn't say, Be shepherds of your own church, Be shepherds of your own fan club, Be shepherds of your own you know, clique or something. It says, Be shepherds of the church of God. It's God's church. Right? Which He bought with His own blood. And Jesus died so that the church could exist. Jesus died so that we can gather together. The, the, the Greek word for church is an ekklesia. That means, it literally means a gathering of people. It could be used for a lot of different things. Right? A lot of different meetings or groups of people. But in this context, it's believers. Right? Jesus died so that we could gather together as sons and daughters of God. And what do we do while we're gathered, though? Acts chapter 2, verse 42, right? It talks about the earliest disciples... 120 of them, they gathered together in one large room where they listened, they, they devoted themselves to the teachings of the, the apostles, to these biblical teachings. They devoted themselves to fellowship, right? Relationships. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, communion, communion, right? They devoted themselves to prayer. And what a beautiful picture that is. But the evil in this world, it, it doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. They don't like that. Or the evil one does not like that. Why Satan, the devil, hates a healthy church. Really, he hates a church that's, that's healthy, that's impacting the world for Christ. And, the, and one of the main ways a church can be made ineffective and irrelevant is when elders allow these wolves to ravage the flock. When elders allow false teachings to make its way around, 
elders don't address issues, right? Between people, maybe people are having an argument or something, they're fighting, maybe there's disunity, you know, maybe people can agree and all these things, maybe people are saying hurtful things and whatnot, and elders just allowing this to, to go on. To allow wolves to attack the flock and to disperse them. And because the church belongs to God, it means the elders are ultimately accountable to God. And that's a huge, that's a huge, like, you know, responsibility, a sense of responsibility. I done right, a church can flourish, right? A church can function healthily, but without overseers overseeing, right? Without shepherds shepherding, without keeping watch, being on guard, a church will gradually slip into danger. So, opportunities like this, like preaching, you know, pulpit ministry is really important, right? When we invite people to come, like people, different people to speak, right? Sometimes we do that once a month or maybe every so often. We want to choose people that will teach the correct things. Right? We, don't just, we don't just invite anybody, okay? We don't just invite anybody. So I want you guys to know that. We actually, like, we want to know the person and we check what they, how they teach and what's their theology. We want them to be doing the right things. Because once they say things like that, it's out there, right? You guys hear it. You know, and to then go back and to do that, you know, we want to prevent that from happening. No, if I, if I ever say anything that's wrong or unclear or uh, that causes misunderstandings, then my, my hope is that you know people will come talk to me about that, right? That uh, my uh, elder Jerry, he's sitting here. I mean, he's on, uh, he's in Taiwan right now, but you know, whenever he's here, that he would be that person to kind of uh, watch what I say. In places like Sunday school, Bible studies, fellowships, Awana. All these places where it's teaching truth, I want to make sure that it's done right. And these elders, they, we, they, they are present and active in the church. We don't want elders who just, you know, they're so disconnected, right? They don't know what's going on. Like, elders aren't like that. Our elders are active. They're engaged in our church. And they can see what's going on, right? They want to protect. So, so um, these elders, they have a, a large responsibility, but they're not perfect, too. They're not perfect. That's why it says to keep watch over yourselves too, right? They're not perfect. So my hope is that, um, that we would support them, that we would pray for them, right? that we would encourage them to do the right thing, right? to examine the scriptures, right? that the scriptures would come first before our own human knowledge, that scripture would come first before our emotions and, and just what we want to do based on what, what we want to do. And I can tell that our elders are really, they're trying their best. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, Jimmy, you know, he's going to be joining them soon. Soon we'll have three active elders. That's better than two, right? Because two sometimes, like, one says yes, one says no, then what do you do, right? So that's why you know, having three is better. So my hope is that we would really uh, love and care for them, right? To encourage them. And, and sometimes it, it might come through rebuke or whatnot. It might come through a challenge. It might be coming through sharing scripture with them or praying for them. So um, I want to I do that right now. Let's take a moment to pray for our elders, um, as they lead our church, guard it, protect it, so that, so that we can flourish. Let's take a moment to, to pray. So just, just take a moment to pray for yourself, by yourselves, and then I'll, and I'll, and I'll, um, and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing the structure for your church, 
a way in which we can function in a way that, that is healthy, that honors you? Or would you give our elders wisdom? We thank you for them. Give them wisdom to, to make the right decisions, to always place you first, that you would be the priority in their life, that they would really see this church as, as a body, a group of people that, um, that they are responsible over and that they need to protect. Lord, would you uh, give them uh, patience and understanding, compassion for your people, uh, that you would increase your love for them? Or would you help us to people who can encourage them, who can love them, who can uh, uh, not, not be, afraid, be afraid to approach them? Or would we um, be, a, be a church that honors you? Uh, Lord, would your will be done in, in our lives and in our midst as, as, uh, as we gather together in your name, which you made possible or through your son, through your, through your, through your sacrifice so that, you can, so, that you, so that you bought with your precious blood. So we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Would you please rise as we, um, as uh, we're going to take communion and then uh, maybe play some music. And we're just going to transition into communion. We don't have much time, so I'm going to do this a little quicker. But this is one of the things that we do when we're uh, together as believers. Um, This was made possible because of Jesus, right? Christ bought this with his blood so that we could be together and that we can break bread together so that we could have communion. Um, so as we come to this table, uh, this is a, a grape juice that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, you know, poured out for us, which can wash away our, our sins. And uh, this is just a symbol, okay? This is just a symbol. It represents that, which we remember, okay? This is all about remembrance. Uh, I'm not sure if it says that in front. Yeah, right. Re- in remembrance, right, of me. That's what we're doing. And this, the crackers here, represents his blood broken for us. So as we take this, remember his sacrifice, his atoning work on the cross, and we come to him, um, maybe this is time for us to ask for forgiveness, confess our sins to God. Uh, maybe it's a time that we need to uh, confess our sins to one another. Maybe this is a time where you can ask prayer from another person. This is a time for you to pray to God. Let him know what's going on in your heart. And when you're ready, just come forward, help yourselves, and then uh, we're going to take it together back at your seats. And um, if you need any help, just let me know. Um, let our ushers know, and then we'll be happy to assist you. Just raise your hand. Okay. So let's just take a moment. Um, let's take a moment to pray, and, we'll, let's, and feel free to come forward.